You know, there are times in the life of the church when God calls you to teach something that you believe will be spiritually formative for the entire congregation. And today is one of those days. Um, If you're anything like me, sometimes I get discouraged because on the days where I feel like the Lord gives you something that everyone needs to hear, it just so happens to fall on fall break when everyone is out of town. You ever thought that? Like, man... You walked in, you're like, I know someone who needs to hear that, and this just happens to be the day that they took a trip out of town. Um, I want to challenge you to do something differently today. I want to challenge you to ask God why he has you here, why he chose to keep you in town through this hour for this purpose. One of the things that I make the mistake of doing sometimes in my own individual lives, and I believe that all of us do in the life of the church, is we forget Uh, that oftentimes God's word wants to speak through God's messenger even to us today, specifically as the saints gather on Sunday morning. Uh, So I do hope uh, that you'll take me up on that and that you'll listen to the words that we're going to be talking about this morning because I do believe that if we'll allow them to spiritually form our lives as individuals, then we'll become a church that's shaped and formed by these things as well. I'm going to come out of the gate Uh, rather negative today, okay? But I hope that you can give me grace. I want to ask you this question, or at least ask you to consider or ponder this question. Where do we get the idea that church is about us? Where do we get the idea That church is about us. Think about this. I want you to write this down if you're a note taker. Has it ever occurred to you that church is not about you? Has it ever occurred to you that the gathered saints on Sunday morning, it's not about you. It's not about what you like. It's not about what you don't like. It's not about your style or preference of music. It's not about your style or preference of the homiletics of the message that's being presented. It's not about you. In fact, it's not about who talked to you or who didn't talk to you. It's not about satisfying your desires or even satisfying your expectations. It's not about your views. It's not about your wants. It's certainly not about your opinions. It's not about coming together so that you can be made happy. And it's also not about meeting together so that we can meet all of your needs. The church, the gathering of the saints on Sunday morning, it's not about you. You know, something I've noticed the older I have gotten is that with every passing day, I notice that I start to, I start to uh, move more and more to the center of my own universe. Have y'all noticed that? You, you, want your, you want your preferences to be met, and if a place you go doesn't meet those preferences, you offer complaint because your expectation or preferences weren't met. Listen, we're not McDonald's. We're the gathered saints of the, of the children of God. Like, we are not here to make sure that you stay happy all the time. 
My job as a pastor sometimes is to put you in positions that cause your life to grow at tension with the word of God so that you can dive deeper into the scriptures to see if what you've traditionally held to because of the things of your past actually line up with the words of God. That's okay for us to do in seasons of our lives. What I've noticed, though, is the older I get, I move more and more into the center of my own universe. Now, if you're like me, you reject that idea intellectually. None of us would ever say, I'm becoming more and more selfish with every passing day. None of us would say that I have noticed that I am more and more centered today, self-centered today than I was yesterday. We reject that idea intellectually, but we devote ourselves to it and how we live our lives each and every day subconsciously. So if we're honest, because sin lives and exists in the world, we believe life, we believe the church is really about us. One of the things that I hope that you've seen through the first five weeks of the book of Acts, we're going to be back there this morning, so you're welcome to go ahead and turn there. We're in Acts chapter 2 today. We're going to be in verses 42 through 47, so you can go ahead and make your way there. But one of the things I have noticed about the men and the women that made the church in the book of Acts is that they understood that church, especially when they gathered together, had nothing to do with them at all. That church was all about Jesus. That's what church was about to them. It was about Jesus and his mission and making sure that they encouraged one another to fulfill the mission that God had called them to. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. If you remember last week, we took an aerial view, you know, an aerial view approach to this text. We looked at verse 42 and we looked at verse 47. Today we're going to dive into the weeds a little bit. And what we're going to do is look at four characteristics of the spirit-filled church. Let me hear it by word of mouth, by an amen. How many of you want our church to be a spirit-filled church? Amen. All right, so we're all on the same page. I want to show you four characteristics of a spirit-filled church. The very first thing is this. These men and women, they were obsessed with the presence of God. They were obsessed with the presence of God. We see this in verse 42 where it says this. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayers. I told you last week, if you were here, that this word devoted may not be the, be, the, the best English word that to translate the Greek here, okay? The word devoted, you and I, we think we're devoted simply because we wake up in the mornings, we read seven sentences called a devotional that's usually accompanied by text of scripture, and we walk away from that devotional and we think, man, we're devoted children of God. Now listen, I am not knocking that at all. That is an extremely healthy practice. And for those of you who do a devotional every morning, I commend you for that. But what should happen in our lives is that we don't, be, is as we continue to do these things and we grow more and more aware of who God is, we're not satisfied with seven sentences that was written by man with one scripture attached to it. Instead, what happens is we start to move or we feel the sensation of our heart move to a place where we just want to sit in the presence of God. And as you start to explore this word devoted, what you see is a more appropriate word would be the word obsessed. That these men and women were obsessed with the apostles' teaching, with fellowship, with the breaking of bread, and with prayers. What does the word obsessed mean? Obsessed means that something occupies your thoughts so much that you can't think about anything else. 
that you think about something or someone unceasingly. And the men and the women of the early church, the church in Acts chapter 2, they were obsessed with the word of God. They were obsessed with the presence of God. If they, if they were able to sit in God's presence, they would do that with the entirety of their lives. That's what they wanted to do. They were obsessed, the Bible says, first with the apostles' teaching. What's the apostles' teaching? The apostles' teaching is the word of God. It means that they longed to get inside of Scripture, that they wanted to, to literally dissect Scripture and learn every part that they could because they understood that the more I know about Scripture, the more I know about my God. And they longed to know Him more intimately and deeper every single day. And sitting at a table or sitting in a coffee shop or sitting at an office desk, wherever it was that they could open up the Word of God and start to read it, they understood, I'm sitting in the presence of God at this moment. Secondly, they were only devoted to the apostles' teaching, but they are devoted to fellowship. What does fellowship mean? It means sharing. They knew that there was something unique about sitting in the presence of God when they shared their lives with one another. Why? Because they understood that by sharing my life with other people, I'm existing in community, and I worship a God who exists in community, so I'm more like him now when I'm in community than I am when I'm not. And this allowed them to experience God in a really, or the presence of God in a really refreshing way. So it says they were obsessed to that. They, assessed, they were obsessed to the breaking of bread. What does that mean? There's really two parts of this. The breaking of bread means that they invited people into their homes to have a meal together. But it also means that, that accompanied by a common meal, they also took the Lord's Supper together when they gathered together as a saint. You have to understand this. You see, we, we add the elements, the bread and the, the juice, if you will. We add those into a corporate gathering much like this today. Okay, So we do that. We try to do it the, the last week of every month here um, at Eagles Landing. Um, but, so we do it monthly, if you will. Um, but here's the thing that you need to understand. The early church, they loved being together so much that they would get together, they'd have their gathering, and then they would leave the gathering and go to another building where they would actually eat and share a meal together. And then at the end of that meal together, they would commune together. They'd take the Lord's Supper together. Um, nobody was wor worried about, you know, making sure that they got home at 2 o'clock to, to be at the football, you know, make sure they caught the football game or whatever the case may be, make sure the grass got cut. They weren't worried about that. What they were worried about is meeting together, doing life together, loving each other towards God, and help encouraging each other because they knew that on Monday, if not on Sunday afternoon, they were going to step right back into the war zone, and they needed to be encouraged and inspired by the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to do that and to do it effectively. So the apostles' teaching, you have the fellowship, you have the breaking of bread, which means they invited people into their homes. They didn't care about the square footage of their home. They didn't care about the cleanliness of their home. They didn't care if they had the furniture that they needed. They didn't care about any of that stuff. They just cared about meeting with the people of God and sharing their life with them and having them in their homes. And then also the Bible says in the prayers. God met them in a very special way when they would pray together. Listen, this is why when we hold prayer nights here at Eagles Landing, we want you to be a part of it. Because there is something uniquely valuable about that time as a church that comes together and spends time on their face before God in prayer together. Now listen, this is one of those things I told you that, that, that I have to do that sometimes I don't enjoy doing because it sounds ultra negative. But I'm just the messenger this morning. There is something ridiculously wrong when we put together a prayer meeting and only a handful of people show up. It shows us as a church that we do not value meeting in the presence of God together. 
It shows you that the things of this world and our schedules are much more important than meeting and hit with him in the company of the other gathered saints and believers. These early church people, men and women, they loved being in the presence of God together. In fact, the word that's used here is obsessed with being in the presence of God together. I'd like to say it like this this morning if, if I could. One of the characteristics of this church is that these men and women, Jesus was their greatest love. Jesus was their greatest love. There was nothing more valuable to them than Jesus. He thrilled their hearts. That they loved meeting in his presence together. You see that word together all throughout scripture. And here's one thing I, I love about these men and women. As you continue to walk through the book of Acts, what you're going to see is Jesus was never a means to a greater end to them. You know what that means? Come on, church. It means they didn't say, hey, Jesus. Remember, it's kind of middle school of us. I'm just thinking of a, an illustration that I can use because I've, I've practically done this before. I remember being in middle school, sorry, babe, but I remember being in middle school and liking a girl and thinking, hey, God, I'll start reading my Bible if, if you'll let me, you know, if she'll say yes when I ask her out. I'll start coming to church a little bit more faithfully, Lord, if she'll pay attention to me today. You remember we used to play, pray ridiculous? I mean, Garth Brooks wrote a whole song about this. Like, all of us do it or have done it. And that just matures the older we get. Lord, I'll be more faithful to reading your word and attending church if you'll get me out of this financial situation that I found myself in. God, if you'll bring me a, a, a companion or a, a husband, a wife, if you'll meet that need that I've always had, or if you'll give me a kid, or if you'll, you'll give me a job, or if you'll give me the promotion, Lord, I'll be a little bit more faithful to you. You start to bargain with God. Jesus was never a means to a greater end for the early church. He was never a stepping stone to a greater joy. He was the greater joy for the early church. They wanted to be around God's people, and they wanted to be in God's presence. Just because I know that there's some super theological person in here, I feel like I need to say this, okay? And Chuck, I'm not talking about you. Here's the deal. God is omnipresent. We know that he exists everywhere. But there's something, read 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We know that he is uniquely present when the, when the, 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 when the saints of God gather together. There's something unique and powerful about those moments when Jesus' people, Jesus' children, come together and they are doing that centered around here. My question to you this morning, real quickly, is are you obsessed with the presence of God? Like Eagles Landing, are we a church that's known in our community by being a, a people that are obsessed with the presence of God? The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. The first characteristic of this church is that they were men and women who were obsessed with the presence of God. The second thing that I want to show you this morning is not only were they obsessed with the presence of God, but they were filled with the power of God. They were filled with uh, the power of God. With every statement I'm making, there's a diagnostic question that we, could, that we could impose upon our own lives. Think about this. If I say something like they're obsessed with the presence of God, the diagnostic question for you and I is, am I obsessed with the presence of God? Like, is it a priority in my life to make sure that I attend the church gatherings? Is it a priority in my life that I make sure I share my home and, my, and, and a meal with, with other brothers and sisters in Christ? Is it a priority in me that I pray with, with other gathered saints? Is it a priority in me that I do togetherness that the scripture calls me to? All right, the diagnostic question here is, am I filled with the power of God? All came upon every soul and many wonders and signs 
were being done through the apostles. Now listen, let's just go ahead and get it out of the way because I know we're thinking about it. You're thinking, we're Baptists, signs and wonders, that's a really foreign concept to us, right? That's what you're thinking. It sounds too Pentecostal for you, right? All right, now Pastor Trey, this is what he's about to do. He's about to move us into the charismatic movement. That's what you're starting to think. Let me tell you something. There are some things our charismatic brothers and sisters get right. And we can learn greatly from. The, the, the idea that, that you and I have, are guilty of sometimes is that we dismiss anybody that doesn't agree with us. If they don't fall on the side of the aisle that we fall on, we just, dis, that we just dismiss them altogether. There are things of great importance and great value that we can learn from one another. One of the reasons I love diversity, especially in the church, is because with diversity comes a diverse group of opinions and thoughts and ideas. And we get to learn that not everybody thinks the way Trey thinks. Not everyone thinks the way our staff thinks. Not everyone thinks the way you think. We can bring that diversity of ideas together and we can learn from each other and become the kingdom of God together in that way. But you know, this phrase, signs and wonders, wasn't original to the charismatic movement. It wasn't original to our Pentecostal brothers and sisters. This is original to the book of Exodus and Moses back in the very beginning of the book of Exodus. When, when God told them, I'm going to do many signs and wonders among you. Why, God? Because I'm going to show them that I am the Lord. I'm going to put my full power on display in this way. And then when you see the words signs and wonders all the way through the Old Testament, it always points back to that moment when God called Moses and told Moses, I'm going to do more, I'm going to do signs and wonders among you. And the reason I'm doing it is to put my power on full display. I want everyone to know that I am the Lord. Now switch over to the New Covenant. In the New Testament, when Jesus arrives on the scene, guess what Jesus does? He does the exact same thing. He does many signs and wonders, and all of these signs and wonders are testifying to his great power. They're testifying before a watching world that he indeed is omnipotent. In many ways, what Jesus is doing here is he's reversing the curse that happened in the garden. You might remember, God created everything in Genesis 1 and 2 in perfect harmony with him. And then chaos entered the world in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve deliberately rebelled against God in the garden. And you and I are, are guilty of the same thing that Adam and Eve do. We sin not only by nature, but we're sinners by choice. We deliberately rebel against our king as well. So it sets the world in, in disorder. It sets the world into absolute chaos. And God is putting his full power on display before a watching world because in the process of this, he is showing people that he really is coming to reverse that curse. That not only is he coming to rescue us from our sin, it takes the power of God to do that most certainly, but he's also restoring order back to this earth the way that it was in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. So let me say it this way. The signs and wonders in Scripture are connected to the redemptive work of Christ. Did you hear that? The signs and the wonders in Scripture are connected I almost wanted to put the word always connected to the redemptive work of Christ. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 5? He said, the miracles or the works that I have done were done for what? To, to testify of my great power before a watching world. That's the reason he did these things. Now later, when you get to Acts chapter 2, we'll see here that the apostles were able to do signs and wonders. 
They're now doing these things that were once impossible are now becoming possible to them, but it's possible because of the intervening power of God. Again, God putting his power on full display. So let me say it like this. The purpose of the signs and wonders was to demonstrate and promote the truthfulness of the gospel and the power of God. So, now that we've covered that, when these men and women were filled with the power of God, what does Exodus, or what does Acts chapter 2 tell us happen next? It's actually positioned at the front half of the sentence in Acts chapter 2 verse 43. Look at it, it says, And all came upon every soul. All came upon every soul. This word all literally means fear. What we need to understand is that there's a healthy fear, there's an unhealthy fear. Okay? There's a fear that comes from God, and there's a fear that comes from Satan. Some of you have experienced both sets of that type of fear. The fear that comes from Satan is designed to pull you away from God. The fear that comes from God is designed to push you more towards God. Think about this. Many of you are familiar with the book of Mark and Mark chapter 4. You guys might remember this story. Jesus tells his disciples, let's get in the boat. We're going to go to the other side of the sea. And midway on their journey, you might remember a, a tumultuous storm outbreaks, right? And the Bible literally tells us that the winds are blowing uncontrollably so. The waves are crashing in the boat. And these men, these disciples who are in this boat are fearing for their own lives. Like they're scared to death that they're about to die. Meanwhile, Jesus is sitting at the bottom of the boat taking a nap. And the Bible tells us that the disciples run to Jesus and they start to shake him and wake him up. And they tell him, man, we are about to perish. We're about to die. The waves are crashing in the boat. We can't, we can't endure this. We can't persevere this. Would you wake up and do something about it? And Jesus gets up and he says, be still. I don't know if he said it like that. I don't know if he said, be still. I don't know how he said it. But he said, be still. And at the sound of his voice, the Bible tells us that literally the clouds rolled back and the sun came through, the waves ceased in their their rambunctiousness, if you will, and that there was calm over that day. At the sound of his voice, that happened. And then what does it say about the disciples when that happened? It says the disciples were filled with great fear. I almost see them against the wall of the boat, kind of like this, thinking, my word, if this guy at the sound of his voice just did that, what could he possibly do to me? What what could he possibly do to us? They just recognize the power of God on full display. I want you to imagine with me this morning that if I I was standing up here, out of the back, over here, backstage, walked out this big, massive African lion and you looked at that lion and you saw it and your eyes got big I'd probably recognize that something was happening behind me because of your reaction and you all you saw was this big mane that just wrapped this lion's neck and he walked around this drum set and he came all the way right here and he stood at center stage and when he got to center stage he made eye contact with you for some of you our reactions would all be different wouldn't they For some of you, honestly, you would jolt out of this room and dart out of this room and you would never come back. Like this would be your last visit, your last thing here. Others of you, you literally pass out right there in your seat. Like we just, we'd be checking pulses and everything because you'd be dead. 
Some middle schooler's always going to be in the room and say, oh, how cute, I want to go pet it. Like, you always got that guy, right? But you got, you got a variety of reactions. So you got this lion, center stage, making eye contact with you. You want me to tell you what you would not be thinking? You would not be thinking, man, I just ordered this outfit this week and nobody's even noticed that it's new. <laughs> you would not be thinking, I wonder what my husband would think of me if I hit my knees right now and pray. You would not be thinking, I wonder what she would think of me if I rose my hands and just started worshiping God because this might be the last time I get the chance to do it. Yet every single week, you come face to face with the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that same fear that he exudes out of him when he makes eye contact with you is not so powerful, not so strong, that you can't discard, I wonder what they think of me if I, if I get a little charismatic on them today. I can't, I can't dance because they might think I'm weird. Listen. When the lion of the tribe of Judah is here, nobody should be focused on themselves and nobody should be focused on the men and the women around them. We should all be focused on the lion that's in the center of the stage because he's worthy of our affection. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of everything and all that we are to bring and to give to him. We shouldn't care about the outfit we're wearing. We shouldn't care about who is judging us if we lift our hands and sing that song. I don't care how Presbyterian you are, or Baptist, or Methodist you are. At the end of the day, the scriptures tell us there's a variety of ways to worship God, and we ought to practice and at least partake in a little bit of those ways. And when we come into this place as the saints of God, before the presence of God, in a very unique way, we shouldn't give two cents about what other people think. And the guests that join us on Sunday morning, what they should see is a people of God that truly believe in the power of God. The early church was filled with the power of God. Are you full of the power of God this morning? I love how uh, Michael Reeves says it in his book, Rejoice and Tremble. Listen to these words. To encounter the living, holy, and all-gracious God truly means that we cannot contain ourselves. When you encounter the lion of the tribe of Judah, you can't contain yourself, right? It just kind of exudes out of you. It just comes out of you, right? Now listen, he is not a truth to be known unaffectedly without love or good to be received listlessly. Seeing clearly the dazzling beauty and splendor of God must cause our hearts to quake. Like, does your heart ever quake when you behold the beauty of God? When our musicians were up here on this stage, literally leading you before the presence of God, did you feel at any moment your heart quaking within you? Because you were finding yourself before the line of the tribe of Judah. Did you feel it at all? Do you understand this church family? When we see God for who he is and we genuinely encounter his power among us, how can we not leave this place in awe of his goodness? How can we not get swept away by a love that you and I cannot give to one another? My wife loves me, but she can't love me like Jesus. How can we not be overwhelmed by his grace towards us, recognizing our own depravity and how far we fall from his goodness, and yet he pursues and chases after me anyway? It blows me away. How can we not wonder 
at his works, we just saw a family that the gospel of Jesus had never penetrated the whole lineage of that family. And these are the first believers in that whole family, and we're in the year 2022. We ought to celebrate ridiculously because now the gospel is going to go to a new people that had not reached yet. There ought to be something about that that just makes us have our hearts quake. When the Spirit of God fills the people of God, the power of God is always made visible. The third thing, i got to move quickly. They were sold out for God's people. They were sold out for God's people. Two quick things. I'm just going to give them to you real quick. Fellowship, breaking of bread, means spiritual togetherness. Okay? They loved doing life with each other. We didn't have to twist their arms or twist their hearts and make them do life with each other. They just loved doing life together. That's who they were. That's what they wanted to do. They, they, they lived life together. They, they wanted to be together. In fact, Acts 42, as I said, says they were obsessed with fellowship and togetherness. Now, I know. You're probably like me, and you're thinking, no, if we're going to do that, we're going to have to draw some boundaries, okay? Uh, nobody wants to be obsessed with other people in this room, and nobody wants someone obsessed with them. I get that. You're thinking that life's not about me. But listen, fellowship is not intended to be optional for the Christian life. It wasn't an option that was given to the church. It was a mandate if you want to honor and fulfill the way that, 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 that God has told us to live. Think about Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. It says, but exhort one another... Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know what that means? It means you need each other in each other's life every single day so that you don't fall prey to the wicked ways of the world around you. You help each other with accountability. You help each other grow in godliness. You help each other conform and to be shaped into the image of Christ. It, we need each other. In order to do that, what about two chapters or a few chapters, seven chapters later? Hebrews chapter 10. Do not neglect the assembling of ourselves together. Do not neglect, some might say, uh, some translations, a meeting together, as is the habit of some. The author of Hebrews is telling you some people are going to neglect meeting with you. It's going to happen. Just don't let that be you. You make this a habit of your own individual life, you make this a priority. See, God's people are designed for community. Let me say it this way. If we want to become a spirit-filled church, we must move from being guests to becoming family. This is why I said it's going to shape us a little bit. What is a guest? A guest shows up, and quite frankly, he expects something to be, some need to be met of his. You go to Disney, you go to Universal, you go to the fair, you go to Chick-fil-A. Wherever you go, if you're a guest there, you're going as a customer who thinks that that experience should be all about you. It's just how we do. When we come here, we have to move from being guests to becoming a family. That means we can't be uh, spectators. We actually have to participate and bring something and offer that to it. Now, I want to share this quote with you because I think it's worth, and then I'm going to uh, sum this up. This is a lady that wrote this, and I want you to hear it. She said, I'm a social introvert. Any social introverts? A lot of us. I'm a social introvert who loves to be home 99% of the time. Some of you are like that. Prior to listening to this series, it would be very rare for me to find, or to find me inviting people over to our home on a regular basis. But the Holy Spirit convicted me that I did not revere this practice. Rather, I dreaded the idea of it. Acts 2, 42 and 46 say that believers were devoted to breaking bread from house to house with joyful and sincere hearts. Now listen to her. My husband and I felt called to start a life group for married couples. We even decided we would eat a meal together each time that we met. 
Mind you, we live in a 300-square-foot studio on the side of a friend's house. Seating is limited. But the fruitfulness that has come from these times of Bible study, fellowship, and breaking of bread has been mind-boggling. Our group is a tribe of imperfect people that pray, serve, and love each other. The intimacy that we share comes from sincere hearts that rejoice in practicing what God intends for us. When we say that life groups are not what we want from you, it's what we want for you, we mean it. Because you experience God in a unique way there, especially as you interact with God's people. And I don't have time to go into all things in common. It literally just means everything they had, they were willing to share. Every possession God gave, I'm willing to share it with other people. It didn't matter what it looked like. It didn't matter if inflation was in, 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 you know, in the world. They knew their priorities were right, and they said, you know what? We're going to give to the church first and share our proceeds in that way. The fourth thing that I want you to see is this. They were sold out for the people of God, and finally, they were marked by the favor of God. They were marked by the favor of God. It says in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Church, this word favor literally means grace. It literally means grace. Some translations might say enjoying grace or enjoying favor. It means that they found great joy in both spending time together and they found great joy in giving their resources to one another. The spirit-filled church is one characterized by joy and gladness. When guests come through our doors, they should see a people who are characterized by joy and gladness. Psalm 100, come into his presence with what in your heart? With thanksgiving in your heart. Psalm 35, may those who delight in salvation shout for joy. Anybody delight in salvation? Let's shout for joy. Galatians chapter 5, be filled with the Spirit, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Singing, the singing heart, is a happy heart. Psalm 16, in his presence is fullness of joy. We ought to be characterized as a people who have joy and gladness in our fellowship. It shouldn't be, a, a child, a mom, a dad shouldn't walk into our building and be curious or suspicious and say, I'm not sure I believe what these people are saying. I mean, the, I, I read what they're singing about, I just don't see it in their own faces. The early church was a compelling, attractive community. Their hearts were glad and full of joy, and that gladness and that joy drew people into their fellowship. All right, told you I was going to end, and this is how we're going to close. Listen to me, church. My wife and I went to Atlanta yesterday to drop off our dog, in case she's staying with some friends so we can get puppies one day, all right? So we take our dog, and on the way, I noticed that the Georgia lottery is right now over $200 million, $200 million. And I started to think, okay, $200 million. The, the, the lottery has exceeded that. Listen, if today our church wanted to be generous to you, which we're not going to do this, but if we wanted to be generous to you and say, you know what? We bought every single person that showed up today a free lottery ticket. And on your way out the door, we're going to give you a lottery ticket. The numbers are going to be called out, let's just say Monday morning. Those of you who actually know, don't, don't say it too loud. Monday morning. And we want you to sit in front of the TV. We want you to watch the lottery to see if you're, you won the jackpot. If you win, you win over $200 million. 
I started to think about that thought. This is how my mind works. And I started to think, you know, imagine, Teresa, <laughs> that you had a ticket in your hand. You're sitting in the recliner at your house, and you're watching these balls as they make their way in the machine. I guess that's how they do it. I don't know, but that's how they do it. Um, and there's six numbers. There's five numbers, and there's a jackpot number. The first number falls. They're like, holy cow, 44. That's, that's on my, my ticket, 44. The second number falls, 32. Whoa, 44 and 32, I got two numbers. All of a sudden, you went from laying back, not caring, to, to kind of sitting up a little bit, didn't you? Okay, I got two and one numbers. Third number's called. It's on your ticket. The fourth number calls, falls. It's on your ticket. The fifth number is, it falls out of the machine. And it's on your ticket. At this point, like you're gripping the side of the couch and you're at the very edge and you are anticipating with eager expectation what's going to happen next. You've got five of the winning numbers on your ticket right now. I mean, just imagine your palms are sweaty, your heart's beating, like you don't know what's about to happen. This is an incredible moment for you, Teresa. The sixth number falls, and it's 16, and you look down at your ticket, and you have number 16. All of a sudden, are you going to lay back? I just won the lottery. That's cool. Is that going to be how you respond? Don't lie. That ain't going to be how you respond. You don't respond to anything like that. I know you're not going to respond to winning the lottery like that. What you're going to do is you are going to jump out of your seat and you're going to start to scream and shout and holler and you're going to have that ticket and you're going to wave it. Your husband's going to come running down from stairs because he's thinking something's wrong with you. You're eventually going to make your way out of the front door and you're going to scream it in the sheets every, or scream it in the streets, not in the sheets, and every, every light in the neighborhood is going to be coming on because they're like, what's going on at that house over there? You just won the lottery, right? And then I thought about the way that we worship. And I thought, church family, what is wrong with the people of God when we value $200 million greater than we value our salvation in the Lord? I want you to watch this video. And my biggest concern, and I hope it's a concern of yours, is, is I don't hear people talking about their love for Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ. I hear a lot of talk about churches, I hear a lot of talk about speakers, a lot of talk about different bands and songs and sermons, but where are those voices that are just saying, oh, I was with Jesus this morning. I love him so much. This is the one thing I pray for all the time is I just wanna be in his presence. Man, you guys know when one of your friends falls in love with someone, right? You know when they get obsessive about it? Right? Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, and some of you guys are in that world where you're just obsessed with this person. And you, know, you've, you meet other people who, once they have a child, it's like all they can talk about is that child. And it's this obsession, this fascination. You know what it's like when someone is in love. My concern is I don't hear that kind of language when people talk about Jesus. 
he, we're supposed to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We'll just be like, oh man, I love being alone with him. It's so good, it's so good, it's him. Man, this is the great command. Is that what we see coming out? I mean, that's kind of a big deal. The church was supposed to produce these devoted worshipers of God where they can't get enough of Him. And there's something so wrong when if we announce, hey, Hillsong's coming, and the place is packed. Versus, hey, we're gonna have prayer tonight. And a handful of people show up. There's something really wrong with that. We can't be okay with that. I mean, we're talking about this being up there, all those angels up there just going, whoa, he's so amazing. And she just be, I'm coming into his, who cares who's leading me into his presence? It's his presence that we're just obsessed with. It's like, right? So we know there's something desperately wrong when people walk out of these gatherings and go, oh, it was really good today, or eh, I didn't really like it today. I didn't really like the worship. It didn't really work for me. I didn't like those songs. I didn't like that band. Like somehow we've lost sight of the option. You think those angels that are screaming out, holy, 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 day and night, ever go looking at you, I didn't really like it today. <laughs> do you think ever in human history, man, seriously, man, do you, we've got to understand how weird of a time we are living in. How consumer driven everything's gotten. Like it doesn't make sense biblically. You think ever in the Old Testament, I don't know if I'm gonna go to the sacrifices today. Who's, who's sacrificing? Who's gotten the bull? Oh, I love it when most, you, you know, it's just, it wasn't about that. How did we turn everything where it's perfectly normal to walk away from our gatherings and go, yeah, I don't know, I didn't really like it. Did it ever occur to you that it wasn't for you? I mean, does it ever enter your mind? One of the things I have been asking God to do over the past few weeks, both in my life individually and the life of our church, is to fill us afresh and anew with the Spirit of God. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There was a time in your life and your relationship with the Lord where you were so thrilled to get into his presence. You couldn't wait to read your Bible that night or you couldn't wait to get up and read your Bible the next morning. And somehow, some way through the course of time and the chaos of the world, you've lost that appetite for the things of God. And I've been asking God, would you fall afresh and anew on me? Would you fill me anew with the Spirit of God where people that are in my presence just know, oh, he's been meeting with the Lord. And I walk the premises of this campus every Tuesday and Thursday. And I pray that over you and I pray that over our church family that we will be so full of the Spirit of God that it is an undeniable reality to our community. And this morning, if you want to begin joining me and asking God first to fill you with his spirits, filling you over the brim 
with the Spirit of God where you're just so full and you just want so much more. Paul said, I was full, yet I starved. And I'm going to ask you to come and join me right here at the altar. you are so good and you are so gracious to us you're a God who has accomplished everything that we needed in our salvation you're a God who has saved us even when we were so undeserving and Father forgive me for complaining when my preferences aren't met Forgive me for making the church about anything less than you. Forgive me for offering my opinions when, quite frankly, they didn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Forgive me for the moments that you want me to share Jesus with my neighbor and I fail to do it. Forgive me for the times that you tell me to pick up the phone and call and check in on so-and-so because they need it and I, I just get too busy. Forgive me for even now thinking there might be someone in the room who thinks this is just weird. And God, all we want is you. All we want is to experience afresh and anew the Spirit of God to fall on this place where it is undeniable to the people of Henry County in this world. Well, when they think of Eagles Landing First Baptist Church, man, they don't think of casting crowns. They don't think of good worship. They don't think of decent preaching. They don't think of anything other than that's a place that the Lord Jesus Christ shows up. That's a place that the Lord Jesus Christ is at work. And those people are so unbelievably loving, it's ridiculous. We just want them to see you in us. God, forgive me for thinking that the pot roast might burn because I'm here at the altar praying. God, we want you to know that we want more of you. We want you to have every crevice and every part of our lives. And we are crying out to you and saying, Lord, if there is anything in us that we have held back, if it's a financial thing, if it's you know, just a practical thing, God, we are praying that you will show it to we. We want to relinquish control today. God, meet with us. Have your way. There are names that exists on the Jesus board in that lobby that indicate people that don't know Christ that you've laid on our heart and today we want to pray for those men those women those boys those girls we want to pray that you will do a supernatural work in their life that you'll bring them to salvation in Jesus Christ we know that your word says that no man can come to the father unless first the spirit of God draw him so spirit of God we are asking you to do your work draw those hearts to you but the very people who put the names on the board will you right now put a boldness and the courage in their hearts to go and share Jesus with them and will we be able to see many men and many women come to know Jesus as a result of that testimony 
God, help us come to church when we gather as the saints with an eager expectation of you working in a mighty and a powerful way. And help us recognize that each time we do gather together, we are truly and genuinely beholding the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he ought to spark a very healthy fear in our hearts to where we revere you for who you are. But we also worship you in a way that you deserve. God, I pray for every faculty and staff of Eagles Landing Christian Academy. I pray for every faculty and staff of Eagles Landing First Baptist Church. I pray for every student and I pray for every congregant. Fill us, Lord with the Spirit of God. Help us do the work that you have called us here to do. And help us not quit until every house in Henry County in the world has heard about the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we'll give you all the honor and all the praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. All your ways are good. And all your ways are sure And I will trust in you alone Higher than my sight High above my life And I will trust in you alone Oh, in you alone Sing this with me